Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. So let's stand in honor of God's word as we read God's word together. I will read verse 2, and we will read verse 3 together and down through verse 7. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach, and the snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is Father's Day. And so I wonder how many great-grandfathers we have present today. Would you stand, please, if you are a great-grandfather? All right. Wow. And they all look so young, don't they? Wow. Great. They are great. Okay, would all the grandfathers please stand? And now I am standing on this one. Grandpa, they all look so young, don't they? Wow, that's great. It looks like all the men in the choir back there, pretty much. Okay, great, you may be seated. And, And then all the dads, all the dads, everybody who is a father, please stand. Wow, that's great. You may be seated. This church has a lot of great men, and we are blessed with good men. Uh, My mother was a very honest and forthright person. I remember sitting with my mom at my dad's funeral, and she looked up there at his casket, and she said to me, she said, he was a man, but he was a good man. And uh, I think that's what we aspire to, isn't it, men? That uh, we know we are men and our wives know, yeah, he's a man, Mm. Uh, but a good man. That would be a good thing to be said, wouldn't it? You ever been thinking about your tombstone, what you want on it? I was actually saw this in a cemetery down in Texas where the tomb said, said, said on it, the smartest man in the world, it said on his tombstone. I guess he chose that for himself. <laughs> I don't know if other people said that about him or not. Uh, this particular text that we are looking at today, I believe, is a picture of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of him. Because I think before we get into this description 
of a leader of the church, we have to recognize that Christ is the leader of the church, the only perfect man. And uh, if you're looking for a perfect man, ladies, uh, look to Jesus, okay? He's the one. And as a church, next Sunday you will be voting on a man to be the senior pastor of this church. I hope you're not expecting him to be a perfect man because there's something I know about him, and that is that he isn't, okay? He's not perfect. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that is the role of spiritual leadership, whether it is in the church or in the home. We saw last time that God's seminary is the family, now, I'm, I'm glad I went to seminary, and I'm glad that I can uh, navigate the Greek and the Hebrew and the systematic theology and the church history and some of those things you learn in seminary. But most of what I learned about being a pastor, I learned in my family uh, with my dear wife and my beloved children. Uh, because being a pastor is a lot more like being a daddy than it is like being an academic professor. <laughs> so this description, I believe, is ultimately a description of Christ and how he wants those who lead his church and those who lead Christian families to be like Jesus. We saw how the role of the wife in the family is to treat her husband as if he was Jesus. Now we're seeing that the role of the husband and father in the Christian family is to be like Jesus. But only Jesus is perfectly the person that he should be. The only perfect man is Jesus. So I just wanted to put that little disclaimer on this before we get too deeply into this. And either... Uh, your expectations are lifted too high. Or, among the men, you might think, well, I'll never, I'll never be the leader that I could be in the church or the family. So, let's ask the Lord to guide us as we study his word. Father, as we open the word today, show us Christ and change us into the likeness of Christ especially those of us who are men and those of us who are husbands and those of us who are fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul lists 16 essential qualities of a man who is qualified to lead the church because he has passed the test in his home. And on the back of your bulletin, you'll see those 16. I would encourage you, uh, men in particular, uh, to use this as somewhat of a checklist, a check up. Did you ever take your car in, you know, and you say, well, they're going to check 21 things on my car. Well, this is kind of your check-in with your own life to say, 
Uh, are there some areas that I need to concentrate on? Are there some areas I need to ask the Lord to help me with? Are there some areas I need to work on? And uh, if you have trouble knowing which ones, just ask your wife. She'll know. Uh, The first one is that one who would be leader in the church must be above reproach. This does not mean sinless, by the way. Nor does this mean that you are without your critics. I think of Moses, David, and Paul. They were all murderers. Have you ever thought about that? So they were not sinless, okay? Uh, But they had been forgiven and cleansed of their sins. They had dealt with that in regard to God and man, and they had a clear conscience. They had their issues resolved. What this essentially means is that all of your skeletons are out of the closet and properly buried. Okay? No secrets that would undermine your ability to lead. And by the way, I think it's a good rule of thumb, men. Just don't do anything that you'd be ashamed of if everybody knew it. So have you resolved all your guilty issues, men? Have you resolved those things? Or do you have secret sins that have not been dealt with? Are you hiding something? The person who would be a leader of a Christian family and of a Christian church should be men who have dealt with their secret sins before God and those who have been harmed by them. The second thing is the husband of one wife. What this refers to is a one-woman man who has loyalty to his one wife if he is married. I do not believe this entirely rules out single men. Just think about Jesus and Paul for a minute. But it certainly speaks of the kind of man that he is. It speaks of monogamous fidelity. He is obviously devoted to his one wife in soul, mind, and body. And there was nothing that will make your children feel more secure than them catching you fooling around with your wife. Oh no, he was kissing mommy. Oh, and they're all so embarrassed and all flustered and secure when they know that mommy and daddy love each other. I grew up in a home where on Saturday mornings you didn't knock on mom and dad's door. That was the rule in our house. And I didn't know what went on in there, but I knew it wasn't part of my life. Behind closed doors. Parents loved each other. This means a good man says no to porn. Amen? To old girlfriends on Facebook. Amen? Or whatever. Whatever you were hoping I wouldn't bring up. He invests his time and his treasure in that one person that he has committed himself to for life. And we mentioned Jesus being a single person, but actually he's not. (laughs) He's engaged to us. The bride, 
We are his bride. Oh my. He is forever committed to us. And someday, perhaps today, he will come and get his bride. And take his bride home to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's going to be a wonderful seven-year feast. What a time. What a honeymoon in heaven we will have with Jesus. And then he will bring us back to planet Earth, where we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And he's made a beautiful city for us. The new Jerusalem descending out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Oh, what a beautiful marriage that is. What a wonderful husband the church has. It is Jesus himself. Then he mentions that we are to be temperate. This word means clear-headed, vigilant, alert, on top of things anticipating what is coming. Why? Because this text mentions the devil twice, doesn't it? Yeah. Mentions how the devil got into trouble through pride and how husbands and fathers can get into trouble through pride like the devil was. The devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants to destroy Wake Chapel Christian Church. The devil wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He is working on it. And as the head of your home, as leaders in the church, you must be ever vigilant, clear-headed, sensible, and serious. And the word prudent, which is very similar, sophron, means serious. You say, well, pastor, does that mean that you can't have a sense of humor? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how I can do without a sense. That's how I get through life, with a sense of humor. My father used to say, take life seriously, Dan, but don't take yourself seriously. One person criticized Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, because he often worked some humor, clever little humor, into his sermons. And his answer was, If you knew how much I held back, you wouldn't be so critical. It is good to not take ourselves so seriously. Dads, right? Not just dad jokes. That's another whole subject. But having somewhat of a sense of humor, an ability to calm things down when they get tense with self-deprecating humor. Prudent, yes. Serious, yes. My granddaughter wrote a little poem about me and how I could be a lot of fun and joking and so forth, but then serious as a heart attack when I preach. And uh, I took it as a compliment. My dear, beautiful granddaughter. Had the privilege of baptizing her Uh, last Easter week in the Jordan River in Israel, but that's another story. Praise the Lord. Respectable, the Greek word here is kosmios. This means that a good man has a pegboard. It means he's organized in his workshop, his basement, his attic, 
his garage, his desk. It took me years to know that God wanted me to have a filing system instead of a piling system. Yeah. Are you organized? A godly man is respectable because he is organized. Hospitable, the word literally means a lover of strangers. In the bulletin, I tell a story about my dad and why we had a chalk-marked X on the sidewalk in front of our house in the city of Bayonne, New Jersey. It was because the men of the road, as we called bums in those days, uh, knew that our house was a good place to stop and you could get some food and some clothing and probably some cash out of my dad. He was a soft touch, way too soft of a touch. Uh, He had to learn to be a little tougher, and the deacons tried to straighten him out. But my dad was a person who loved strangers. I remember one man came to see my dad. He said he needed car fare to New York City. And my dad said, well, we're taking the day off today. It was a Monday, my dad's day off. And he said, we're going to New York City. Why don't you come with us? And he did. And as we rode the five-cent ferry from Staten Island over to New York City, this man looked more and more miserable the further he went. I think he wanted to drink that money, not go to New York City, but he went. We never did see him again. Uh, But my dad was very willing to help people. He was a lover of strangers. Abraham was a lover of strangers when three strangers came to him. He made a meal for them and entertained them. And one of them, one of them, well, all three were angels. One of them was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ who told them what he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Hebrews refers to the fact that when we are hospitable, some have entertained angels unawares. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you took me in and The disciple said, when were you a stranger? And he said, if you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. In Bible times, hotels and motels didn't exist. They had inns, but they were dirty and dangerous and immoral places. Christians generally took a letter of introduction and stayed with other Christians when they traveled. They opened their homes to one another. And it wasn't an Airbnb, okay? There was no money involved. It was care for Christians for one another. I'm not against Airbnbs, but this is not what it's talking about, okay? Uh, Open home. And Christian leaders open their home. How much I learned from the people that stayed with us. We lived in a four-story row house as I grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. And there were a lot of bedrooms in that house, and they were usually full of either evangelists, missionaries, or sailors. We had the naval supply depot in our town, and often sailors came to church. When they did, mom would invite them over for a nice fried chicken dinner after church. My mom would always put on a good dinner, and we'd always have people there. And, uh, and, and then the sailors would complain, you know, about what a bad atmosphere it was on the ship, you know. And then mom would say, well, we have a bedroom open upstairs. Why don't you stay with us? And three months later, they were still there, you know. I had a lot of friends with those sailors. Uh, we just always seemed to have wonderful people in our home. It wasn't just us. We had an open home, and I learned so much. Those people, those missionaries, those evangelists that stayed with us became the heroes of 
uh, my life. And it was my first paying job involved checking under the sofa cushions when they left for loose change. Yeah. Hospitable. Number seven, able to teach. You say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. I could never get up in the pulpit and teach like you do, Pastor Peters. That's not my gift. But I'll tell you this. Every husband and father is a teacher whether he likes it or not. And he better teach this word. He better be the one that does the praying and opens the Bible in front of his family and reads it to them and explains it to them. Yes, dads should be teachers. And dads are teachers, whether they believe it or not. And especially with sons, God has given a book of the Bible that God intended fathers to teach their sons. It's called the book of Proverbs. One of the things I had the joy of doing with our sons was to have individual sessions with each of one of them when they got old enough and go through the book of Proverbs with them. And we would draw little stick figure pictures of the kinds of people discussed in the book of Proverbs. There's all kinds of interesting people discussed in the book of Proverbs. And we would always draw the wise man with big ears. Because the wise man listens and learns. Book of Proverbs, that's the curriculum. It's a dad's curriculum for sons. That's the purpose of that book. And then not addicted to wine. You say, why is he bringing up alcohol? Well, alcohol is something that has to be brought up, doesn't it? God said that the priests in the Old Testament weren't allowed to drink alcohol. They served the temple. They, they had to be clear-headed. Why is alcohol mentioned? Because it is a particular sin that seems to affect a lot of men and seems to affect their ability to lead their family. Doug Emmer went to Philadelphia College of Bible with Diane and I, met his wife Lois there, and, and uh, when I came to Limerick Chapel, he was living nearby, and uh, uh, I brought him on the staff at Limerick Chapel as an assistant pastor, and uh, he worked in the area of evangelism discipleship with us. Uh, later on, the Lord called him and Lois and their family to the Ukraine, where he went to plant churches among the Ukrainian people. He became aware of the fact that many of the Ukrainian men, in the cities especially, were drunkards, were alcoholics. And the churches that had been already founded in that area of Kiev were, were full of women and children, but hardly any men. So Doug decided he was going to do it differently. So he rented a hall and put out the word that he was starting church services for men only. No women or children were allowed to come. Only a very few handful of men came. Doug led them to faith in Christ, helped them to deal with uh, alcohol addictions in many of their lives. For several weeks, in fact, I think it was about two months, he met only with men, led them to Christ, and began to disciple them. And only after two, week, two months of only the men coming to the church services, he told them to invite their wives and their children, and they came. And a strong church was founded with men who led the congregation. 
interesting. Not addicted to wine. But maybe not addicted to drugs either. Maybe not addicted to gambling. Maybe not addicted to computer games. Maybe not addicted to sports or even work. Amen? Workaholics, by application, certainly addressed here. Men, don't be addicted to anything that keeps you from being the man that God has called you to be. You say, I don't have time to lead my family spiritually. I don't have time to read the Bible and pray. I don't have time to teach my sons from the book of Proverbs. Well, maybe if you cut out some of those addictions, you'd have a lot of time. Can I hear an amen from the women on that? Yeah. Not pugnacious, not a fighter, not violent. Ephesians 6, 1 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How do you provoke children to anger? With anger. And the rod of your anger will fail. In fact, it's sad because some dads, the only time they ever discipline their kids is when they get mad. Look out, dad's mad. I learned that I had to sometimes go in the other room and count to 10 and count to 20 and pray and do a few other things. I would send my children to their room and then when I was calmed down, I'd go up and deal with them. Yeah. Men, We need to get our anger under control. Not a fighter, not violent. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, helping them. Gentle, that's the next one, number 10. The opposite of being harsh or pushy or controlling. It means to be Andy Griffith, not Barney Fife. Amen? Guy would arrest his own mother, you know? What in the world? James 3.17 says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That means we are not the drill sergeant in their face. We are the coach alongside. We put our arm around our son or daughter and we say, I know what it's like. You know, I've struggled with some of those same things. I used to say to my teenager, I'd say, man, I wouldn't be a teenager again for a million bucks. I didn't have very many friends, but I had a lot of pimples, you know. And I'll tell you, it wasn't easy being a teenager. It's not easy today being a teenager. Teenagers are killing themselves. It's not easy being a teenager. You come alongside them. It's so easy to be the drill sergeant in their face. When God has called us to come alongside and be their coach. Then peaceable. Peaceable. Peaceable means to listen to them. Uh, Diane and I were sitting in the lobby of the La Quinta Motel out there in Chicago. And they were, our, our meetings were over. And uh, we met a young medical doctor who had come in there to Trinity University to teach and uh, we got taught, we got, we jumped right into that conversation. I don't know how we got in so deep so fast, but we did. And he and I were talking about how do you reach atheistic college professors with the gospel? It's a good question. And I believe the first thing you do is you listen. 
and you say things like, wow, that's interesting. How did you become an atheist? They have a story. One person did a study a number of years ago, uh, and they found a correlation between outspoken atheists and the fact that they had a lack of a father. Isn't that interesting? Their father was absent in some sense. And we're living in a world where increasingly people are trying to figure out ways to have a family without having a dad. Because men are kind of unnecessary. That's our modern way of thinking. But I believe that one of the most necessary reasons why God put a dad into a family is that children would learn something about God. God the Father. Oh, the fa- you mean like my dad? Yeah, like your dad. Your dad was a good dad. And your dad showed you something about who God is. Peaceable. Free from the love of money. Remember Reverend Ike used to be on TV years ago. And he said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. And he was one of these prosperity preachers, you know, that God wants you to be rich kind of stuff. No, it is not the lack of money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Now, most people quote that verse to say money is the root of all evil, and it's not. We all need it. How many of you used money this week? I thought so. See, you did. And you thought about money, didn't you? Sure. And there's a lot about money in the Bible. Money's not a bad thing. It's just how it's used. But he's free from the love of money, a godly man. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and covetousness is a sin. How we handle money is one of the best indications of our values in life. Number 13, he rules his own household well. The word rule has the idea of presiding at the head of the table. It is used of taking care and that's what he refers to how shall he take care of the church of god you're looking for a senior pastor who will take care of this church and the church is not the building or the bucks it's the people amen the church will he care about the people one of the best ways to see whether he's going to care about your church is to see whether he cares about his family or not I made a mistake a number of years ago of hiring a staff member without ever having been in his house. Big mistake. Because there were some things I didn't know about him that I would have known within five minutes of being in his house. I was in his house later, and it all made sense to me at that point. How he cares for his household, his family, his home, tells us a lot about a person. And then he has dignified control of his children. Some men are are very controlling, but they're not dignified about it. I'll break your neck. That's not dignified, okay? We had a next-door neighbor growing up in the city. She would always yell at her kids, I'll break your arm. But I never saw any of her kids in a sling. I don't think she meant it. Some people hurl all kinds of of threats upon their children, but they don't mean it, and that is not dignified, folks. Dignified control. Eli didn't have that. 
And his sons Hophni and Phinehas were a disgrace. And yet God gave Eli another chance. And the little boy Samuel came, and Eli did a good job with Samuel. Samuel was a blessing. Dignified control of children. And then not, they say, by the way, on that dignified control, they say, in the modern world, everything is controlled by a switch except the children. But that's another whole subject. But the Bible does have quite a bit to say about the discipline of children, the loving discipline of children. And then not a new convert, not a new convert. Don't make a man a leader in the church because he got saved last week and he's real important. You ever hear one of those testimonies? Usually it's when a sports star or a Hollywood star gets saved and a week later somebody's got them on a platform telling their story. Be careful about that. Do not make a person an instant church leader just because they're important in the outside world. No, not a new convert. And a little word to you unmarried young ladies. Don't put a man in charge of your family that got saved last week. We used to call them rice Christians. You see, in China, in the days before the communists, uh, sometimes the missionaries would give out rice to the poor people, and those people would become Christians so they could get rice. And they called them rice Christians because they were motivated by the desire for free food. Uh, Today, rice Christians are more ones who, well, they profess faith in Christ so they can marry the nice girl. This church has a lot of nice girls. And there might be young men that would like to marry you because you're really a nice girl. And, and he'll, he'll pray a prayer, you know. He'll go forward in a service or do whatever it is to get the girl. But after you marry him, you might find out what he's really like. Be careful of a neophyte, a new Christian. Don't put him in charge of your family. Don't put him in charge of your church. Make sure they are mature Christians who are going to be in charge of your family. Is that young man you want to marry a growing, maturing Christian who himself gets involved in Christian things, not just so he can be with you? Just a little word there for the ladies. And then the final one, a good reputation in the outside community. You see, a good man has a life that matches his claim to be a Christian. He keeps his word, he pays his bills, he mows his grass, he votes, he participates in the community, he participates in his children's school, he gives, he shares, and he has a good reputation in the neighborhood. Ask his neighbors what kind of a person he is. They just might know what they've seen and heard going on next door. Yeah. A godly man is a man who demonstrates the character of Christ on a consistent basis throughout his life. What is my response to this text? I love 2 Corinthians 3, 5, where Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God whether as husbands or dads or church leaders, we are not capable of these things apart from complete and constant dependence on God. 
But God is able to make all grace abound toward us, that we having always all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So men, as you look over that list of 16, maybe you want to make a mental check mark or circle a number or something that gives you an idea of what that one thing is that you need to go to the Lord about and ask for help with. Why not join a men's group? I was so encouraged when I was in Lynchburg visiting our family there that my son-in-law was going to a Bible study with guys from his work. And I went to the Bible study with him and how encouraged I was that my son-in-law was in a men's study with men who were farther along in their husbanding and parenting than he was, who could share with him practical wisdom and guidance. And I am so encouraged that my son-in-law is a growing, godly Christian who is seeking to lead his family in a godly way. Gene Getz wrote a book called The Measure of a Man, in which he took these 16 character qualities of a man and demonstrated how they are fulfilled in Christ and how they are fleshed out in a man's life today. It's called The Measure of a Man by Gene Getz. Wonderful book. I would encourage the men of this church to consider getting that book and forming a small group of men who would honestly share their own learning and struggles and practical application of these character qualities. And I trust as you meet the pastoral candidate this Wednesday night and as you vote next Sunday, that you will keep these very qualities in view. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for laying before us the practical application of the character of Christ and the life of a man who is a husband and and father and, and church leader. And I pray for this church that you would bring the man of your choosing uh, to be the next senior pastor of Wake Chapel Christian Church and that you would continue to grow the godly men of this assembly for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, today is a day that we celebrate and honor our fathers. This is a good thing, Lord. We thank you for our fathers. And we ask that you give each one of us who are fathers cause to remember that to be honored requires us to also to be honorable. Help us, Lord, to, to be godly fathers, to lead and guide our families in the way that you would have us to go. Give us strength and wisdom and give us a love for you. And Lord, we thank you for this church. Thank you for giving us so many faithful leaders over the years that have kept us faithful to your word and allowed us to, to thrive in this community for so many years. And Lord, we, we face an important decision in the life of this church now. I pray that you will give each member a peace in their own heart for their part in our upcoming vote for our new pastor. I pray that, he will be, that we will be led by your will and for the good of your people. And Lord, we're mindful today of those who are sick or troubled in some way this morning. I pray that you will give healing to the sick, comfort to those who grieve, and strength and hope that is in you for all. And we remember our mission of the week, Transworld Radio, and ask that you allow us to further their efforts by our prayers and financial support. 
Lord, be with us now as we go throughout the week. Let us be salt and light to an often dark and unbelieving world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.